welcome to the Freak Show, fellow freaks. I'm Matthew Brockmire. I'm Krista Carmen. And this is Murder Coaster. Step right up, step right up, ladies and gentlemen. All month long, we have been discussing the werewolf. From its mythological origins, to the notorious werewolf trials of the Middle Ages, to infamous serial killers who were branded as werewolves. And we thought it would be interesting to reach out to our friends in the horror writing community to get their take on what the werewolf means to those who pen nightmares for a living. From mainstream best-selling authors to underground indie writers of extreme horror and splatterpunk and everywhere in between, we have curated an amazing selection of voices in the horror writing world. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you Horror Writers on Werewolves. Let's begin. Gwendolyn Keist, three-time Bram Stoker award-winning author of The Rust Maidens, Reluctant Immortals, and Her Smile Will Untether the Universe, Pretty Mary's All in a Row, The Invention of Ghosts, and Bone Satin Feathers. What do you think of when you hear the word werewolf on a poetic level? So for me, werewolves are just all about transformation. They're all about body horror and how these bodies can change on us in ways that we just can't even always expect. And also on a poetic level, I love the connection between the wolf and the moon. And it's so beautiful and even a little bit witchy and yeah so like for me the werewolves are just all about that body horror and the connection to the moon and all of these things that feel so primal to us jeff strand bram stroker award-winning author of over 50 books including blister autumn bleeds into winter dweller and most recently veiled can you tell us please jeff what comes to mind when you hear the word werewolf? I love werewolves. Weirdly, what comes to mind is what I subverted. Because in my book, Wolf Hunt, the werewolves have complete control over their abilities. And that's actually not my favorite part of the mythos. What I like about werewolves is the lack of control. So I like that the werewolf can be both the hero and the villain of the same story. You know, when you... Become a werewolf through no fault of your own. You just, you're an innocent person who got bit. But then you wake up in the morning with blood all over your bed and you have no idea what you did. So, yeah, my favorite part of it is that it's, you know, the bad guy and the hero can be the same person. Complete loss of control, maybe complete loss of memory. Just the fact that you're out there doing horrible things as a monster and possibly having absolutely no memory of what you've done. So that's really the loss of control is my favorite part of the werewolf mythos. All right. We have Lauren Elise Daniels, awarded poet, senior editor, best-selling author of Serpent's Wake, A Tale for the Bitten. What do you think of when you hear the word werewolf? 
This is such a great question. Um, I would first like to say that I wrote a little horror comedy piece for the Horror Writers Association's Halloween Haunts blog. Um, and my little piece will be released on the 30th of October, which, you know, that's Devil's Night or Cabbage Night if you're from Rhode Island. Um, for me, it was the costume that I chose through the 70s and 80s repeatedly, probably to the worry of my parents, um, because it's so much fun. Werewolves are fun. You get to step out of your usual form and uh, howl and all that good stuff. My father had Robert Redford's uh, The Language and Music of Wolves album, record album that he'd put on his stereo and pop those speakers in the window. So that was the start of Halloween for us. Um, and I think maybe we could stand to see a little bit more horror comedy with werewolves at the focus. So that's that's what it means to me. We bring you the prolific and beloved author of many, many fantastic novels and short stories, including of Foster Homes and Flies, Wallflower, and The Skullface Boy, a punk rocker with a heart of gold, Mr. Chad Lutsky. <laughs> so tell us, Chad, what comes to mind when you hear the term werewolf? Uh, I think of a victim with a cursed life. Uh, I suppose that I suppose that really depends on the person's moral compass. If they're a scumbag, maybe it's not so bad ripping your clothes off and running around wrecking wreaking havoc with your with your claws. But if you're a good guy like David from American Werewolf in London or or Talbot from the original Wolfman, then it's it would be a real bummer. Um I I'm probably overthinking it, uh, but I'm just drawn to the idea of like a lone spirit. Um, who carries this curse that they might have, like this deep secret they've got to carry around with them. Um, and when I, th when I think about it, it's kind of funny because uh, at a subconscious level, I'm, I'm always drawn to the human side of things. Um, and it, it, that which lines up with everything that I write, like the dark side of humanity over supernatural, even if it's supposed to be supernatural. So um, yeah, I think I, I, now that I think about it, I find it interesting that when I think of a werewolf, I think of the human side, the the part that suffers. I, I don't know what this says about me. Um, maybe I feel bad for monsters. Empathy, right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, now we have Mark Matthews with us to talk about what werewolves mean to him from a poetic perspective. <laughs> well, thank you, Krista. Um, from a poetic perspective. Um, so let's see werewolves. I, I love werewolves. First of all, they, um, what they represent and, um, I've always compared them to other kind of monsters, mythical monsters that are like, like, like vampires and the difference between a werewolf and a vampire, meaning, um, um, a vampire is very sensual, very sensual and luxurious and elegant and, Will seduce you but a vampire or a werewolf on the other hand is you know savage and and often lustful and beast like and like the um shadow self gone wild running in the forest while the vampire is in the castle you know <laughs> looking down um and i think there's something about us all having that beast inside of us and learning to tame that which is what a werewolf does because they don't control it for a while but 
it's temporal with with as a vampire it's eternal but a vamp uh, werewolf is you know that typically there's you know the moon comes and goes and uh, you know you're and you have this guilt you know usually there's there's some vampire guilt sometimes but usually it's the werewolf guilt that's more like what did i do you know what i mean <laughs> it's like waking up in a drunken rage and um you know coke fueled whatever <laughs> look what i did um so it just you know i think it, it uh, the psychology of it i don't know if that's poetry but the psychology of it um the transformation of it that it what it represents we all go through transformations in life um you know whether it be a whatever life change i'm thinking of ginger snaps uh, a very poetic werewolf and <laughs> a life change um and uh so yeah, I, I you know I I love reading about werewolves. I, I I think they're an underrepresented monster, so to speak, and creature. Um, and I, I I tried writing about them once, as as you know, I wrote a novel about them with um, where I compare werewolf to um, the cycles of bipolar mania and the kind of the the savage instincts that can come out in a manic rage, um, which is also temporal and a psychiatrist to manipulates those moods and 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 so as i was writing that i found that there was research that there's um i found somebody who in the psychology department that was writing a thesis on the comparisons between um werewolves and bipolar why i became a werewolf ohio state university 2015 um via lauren smith and so i tracked her down and we talked about it to do some research wow that's fascinating um, yeah And David L. Tamron, horror author, actor, filmmaker, with books such as Hurting My Toys. May I ask you, David, what do you think of when you hear the word werewolf? Well, there's kind of two definitions. There's the um, the sort of the supernatural definition of a creature that comes out um, when there's a full moon and you have to shoot it with a silver bullet. And then there's a sort of more modern terminology um, where there have been serial killers who have killed in such a way that the media have dubbed them to be werewolf killers um, because of the, they engage in excessive mutilation of the body and um, things like that. And that's actually to be more scary and more interesting than the, you know, the supernatural, uh, you know, silver bullet type of uh, werewolf. Oh, hell yeah, man. We've been doing that all month. That's very cool. And um, the the one I, the person I find most interesting, um, and if you if you do a Google search on werewolf killer, this guy will probably come up. Uh, his name is Mikhail Popkov. Uh, Popkov. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It's it's a uh, Russian, and he uh was uh con convicted of seventy eight uh rape murder etc um and that there's evidence suggesting that he killed actually more than that and what he would do is he would um find women um he would uh just destroy them so that they didn't even look like a person anymore um and just you know complete overkill and then he would rape them and so because because of that they thought he was kind of almost like an animal, and, and he was known as the, the werewolf killer. And the really scary thing was that he was a police officer, and all these people he killed, over 80 people, um, 
he did it as a police officer. He would find women walking around and he would look for either prostitutes or women who were going to a party or something unattended by a male chaperone. And he'd offer them a ride in his car and then the car would take off and the person would never be seen alive again. And I mean, to me, that's, that's terrifying. You know, that, you know, that there's people Werewolf like cop. that out there. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're actually covering him on the, uh, he will be on our next episode. Oh, really? I can't yeah. listen to that. Uh, Russia's most prolific serial killer. Yes. Yeah, so they don't know the exact number, but they're saying it's in the like, mid-80s. He keeps admitting to more to stay at a prison. He'll be like, I'll tell you where more bodies are. And so he, because the prison they want to send him to is uh, the Black Dolphin. It's one of the most notorious prisons in the whole world. And he's like doing anything to stay out of it. And, oh, I was I was wondering why he he kept coming up with these uh, confessions every couple of years. Yeah, he's using it to his advantage, and uh, even right now he's awaiting trial for more. Uh, that's uh, I didn't know he was. Uh, I didn't even know there was uh, the, the trial was still ongoing. That's that's well, he crazy. was convicted but... of the first, I think, fifty three, and then he uh, admitted to more. Went to trial again, and then when the trial's over, they're like, "Okay, here you're going to." Uh, to prison to this like fucked up prison dude and uh and then he came back and was like i'll tell you where more bodies are i got more stuff for you and then and they so they don't send him to the prison and he goes back to trial for more this will be like his third i don't know why they keep trying him but i mean i guess that's just the way they do it yeah i mean there's a lot of things disturbing about him but the the fact that he used his you know his, his status as a police officer to get victims is i mean that's pretty heinous yeah um and the gerard schaefer did that too he well in my opinion gerard schaefer is like the worst serial killer ever because i've i mean i've read killer fiction and i almost threw up many times i took me a long time (laughs) to read that book that's the most extreme book ever written in my opinion um that guy badly written <laughs> true yes he, he he's not a good writer but he, he is when you say like the word evil sometimes i don't you know no no if i believe in like concepts of good and evil but he seems to be legitimately you know evil um and that guy that guy terrifies me yeah awesome uh well thanks so much for uh being on david we appreciate it so much yeah thank you so much for having me i appreciate it Beyond the Shadows podcast. In the darkest corners of our universe lie spaces where even the light won't go. Places where terror and the unknown lurk, always waiting. Join Ryan and Scott on the Beyond the Shadows podcast as we pull back the curtain and peer into the darkness. We'll examine hauntings, true crimes, mysteries, UFOs, exorcisms, reincarnations, mysteries, and all things dark. Join us as we go Beyond the Shadows Doug Brunel, a writer of depravity, author of Black Devil Spine. What comes to your mind when you hear the word werewolf? When I think of the werewolf, I think about the imperfect balance between man's civilized side and his lustful, savage side. I say imperfect because the man who realizes he's a werewolf is usually either very scared to learn this 
or he loves it and is excited by it, but refuses to take responsibility. And if it was a perfect balance, he would embrace it. That's what werewolf means to me. Aaron K. Crocker, actor, filmmaker, award-winning author of Synchronicity. What do you think of when you hear the word werewolf? Ooh, when I hear the word werewolf, I think of dark forests, um, gnashing teeth, blood, cities being ripped apart, um, a, a really interesting shroud of mysticism to the entire character just rooted in lore and history and um that's what i think of and we have richard thomas award-winning author of four novels four short story collections 175 stories in print and the editor of four anthologies. He's been nominated for the Bram Stoker Award twice, uh, Shirley Jackson, Thriller, and Audie Awards. So, Mr. Richard Thomas, can you just tell us what comes to your mind when you hear the word werewolf? Man, I was thinking about it, and I think it goes back to my childhood. I remember seeing, was it Lon Chaney? The original Uh, Wolfman? Yeah, so I think that was the first time I saw a werewolf movie, and it really—I was a kid—scared the crap out of me. <laughs> nice. And uh, just his transformation seems so, I don't know, so painful, so so interesting. Um, that's one thing that comes to mind. I think about uh, American Werewolf, American Werewolf in London. I think about the Howling. American Werewolf in London. I think is is one that really. Uh, it was funny, but also really, also some pretty intense moments. The Howling had some really great moments that just really stuck with me. Some visuals that just really scared the crap out of me, like the ending and stuff. I think the for me, sexy the the, the in the yeah. porn theater, right, the, right, yeah, yeah, right. That was really twisted, and like I, I, I was, I wasn't sure if that was the same movie. I was like, is that the one I'm thinking about? Yeah, um, that, that really bugged me. Um, I also think about how I think the werewolf was kind of this, it opened a door to a lot of other things for me. The idea of transformation in horror um, with the werewolf, obviously traditionally it's triggered by a full moon, right? But there are a lot of other variations on monsters and the rules and and people break them at will um, and kind of play with it. You, you mentioned Stephen Graham Jones earlier. I just reread Mongrels recently and they seem to be able to shift kind of at will. Um, or with some concentration. And so I think what that really has put into my mind was, um, while I haven't written many werewolf stories myself personally, I lo- the idea of change, of control, and a-, a loss of control, and the idea of something kind of hiding in your midst, that there could be somebody that... Sometimes the monster stuff doesn't really scare me, but the idea that the guy next door <laughs> like could be something whether it's a werewolf or a wendigo or, you know, a skinwalker, shapeshifter, anything in that, like, that's the stuff that really gets under my skin. The idea that it's right here. It was in the house the whole time. It's right next door. Um, Those things really tend to kind of freak me out and scare me a bit more than some of the other stuff. Right. The beast within. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think over the years, I've 
kind of gotten more sympathy to the werewolf's plight. You know, definitely Mongols is one of those books. Um, I'm, I also really love uh, Benjamin Percy's What the Red Moon. That's a, I love yeah, that book. That's an epic book, man. Yeah. But the idea that um, it's kind of like with vampires, the idea of living forever, sometimes that's not really what you want. <laughs> it's kind of horrible uh, that sometimes I think being a werewolf, I found sympathy in the in the fact that you can't control everything and that you're going to shift and you're, you're trying to you, even I've seen uh, somebody had a story in Best Horror, maybe it was Philip Fricassi or somebody was a fail safe. The idea of trying to lock away somebody during their time, you know, to keep them safe and like the, the idea that you don't want to hurt others. So I think my my feelings towards werewolves werewolves over the years has really changed because I've seen it shift going from a more rudimentary basic as a full moon guy changes each people kind of thing um, goes back to you know human form to so many other variations over the years and and gaining more sympathy for the beast for the creature you know you go back to Frankenstein I guess for some of that too. Um, just really made me think about the nuances and complications. Cause I, you know, you know, my writing, I, body, mind, and soul. If I can get you to care, if you can get me to feel, if I can get you to feel something, I feel like I have a better chance of getting an emotional reaction from you. And so I think with the werewolf, it's not just a creature hulking out and like tearing people limb from limb. There's a, there's a, a consciousness, there's an entity, there's a soul within there. Um, and whether it's in human form or not, that's, you know, trying to deal with this, thing that could be you know probably seen as a curse but maybe seen as a gift i don't know it's a it makes it more complicated more interesting so i think you know back in the day it was a more simple story these days i'm really excited to see what people are doing with the with the tropes and taking us in new directions excellent hell yeah well thank you so much for that i appreciate it my pleasure thanks matthew thanks for having me and we have author editor and anthologist Kevin J. Kennedy, owner of KJK Publishing. Can you tell us, Kevin, what do you think of when you hear the word werewolf? Hi there. That was my cat meowing in the background, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I think of werewolves, the first thing that always springs to mind is uh, the movie Dog Soldiers. It's my absolute favourite werewolf movie. Um, obviously, I'm in Scotland, some of the lads in the the movie was Scottish, so it's you know, there's not an awful lot of great British movies, so that's my first one. Um, but as you probably know, I do a lot of reading, um, and, and two of my favorite werewolf books are uh, by Ray Garton, and it's Ravenous and Bestial, absolutely fantastic reads. Um, as is most of Ray Garton's work, I'm a big fan of Ray Garton, and um, the other ones I really like are uh, Jeff Strand. He's wrote a few books, mm-hmm. uh, Wolf Hunt and the, the sequels. Um, and for anybody that's not read Jeff Strand before, you know, he's, he's got quite a comedic spin on everything. Uh, but there's quite a lot of action in the books. They're quite fast-paced as well. Um, and they're, they're, they're probably my other joint favourite books. Um, I've dabbled a little bit myself in writing. So in my, my most recent collection, my uh, 80s Ed of Horror, I wrote uh, the, the, the E for Eleanor uh, as a werewolf story, uh, and it's set in the it's set in Scotland and um, up in the Highlands, uh, and it's pretty fast paced and pretty brutal as well. And that was quite a lot of fun to write. So that was my first time dabbling with with um, writing any werewolf fiction. 
Um, and, and again, most of my favourite authors are, are a lot of my favourite authors at one point or another have, have done a, a werewolf story, at least, if not a, a book. Um, but but I, I think you've maybe seen online, I'm releasing a vampires one, and I'm thinking about after that, maybe doing a werewolf one to sort of tie in, making a, a sort of series of different monsters. Um, aye, that's, that's probably my thoughts on werewolves. <laughs> And we have beloved horror writer Duncan Ralston, author of such books as Womb and Midwives, among many, many other lovely books. Sir, can you tell us what comes to your mind when you hear the word werewolves? Uh, first of all, beloved. I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know how beloved I am. but well, You've got a pretty big you. fan base there, buddy. <laughs> and some enemies, but whatever. Uh, Fuck them. Werewolves. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I have complicated thoughts on werewolves because I really love werewolves. I grew up in the 70s and 80s and, you know, enjoying movies like Teen Wolf and whatnot. So it's a complicated relationship with them because I do love werewolves, but I don't find a lot of werewolf fiction or movies that I connect with. I don't know why. I'm not sure. I like the idea of, uh, you know, the id or whatever coming out and taking over but the aside from like ginger snaps or i can't think of any modern ones that i actually like i like what you said about mm. the id like on a poetic level like you you feel like it's the inner the inner subconscious like uh the id freudian yeah theory. i mean kind of like, i think it was in stephen king's dance macabre where he's equated it with the like uh dr jekyll and mr hyde i think Mm -hmm. similar mm -hmm. sort of thing yes i mean aside from the dog part also now there's a, so many things like twilight or uh, paranormal romance that has this sort of dog fetish which is kind of strange i don't really <laughs> understand that like i get the alpha thing but everything else kind of a strange fetish to me <laughs> kind of taking over the genre yeah uh werewolf erotica is just it's huge i've thought about writing it myself just to make yeah. a couple books <laughs> <laughs> i don't blame you hello i'm mark i'm gina and together we are men's wellness theater or at least we try i would try to survive it <laughs> we're the hosts of the worst a podcast where i deep dive horrible subjects and tell the story to gina and I tell terrible, tasteless jokes to kind of break up the awful, soul-crushing details that you bring us. I try and you try, and that's what makes it great. Yeah, I mean, stop being upset. We are trying our best. And honestly, we're weird people. We find this makes it a little more palatable to get through the horrible details of some of the worst true crime. Yeah, because otherwise, I just want to take an ice pick to my own eardrums. I can't do it anymore. No. So if you're the type of person who finds, you know, Weekend at Bernie's the most hilarious movie ever, we might be up your alley. Give us a try. Absolutely. Just look for Mental Illness Theater on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you happen to use for podcasts. And now we welcome Richard Chismar. New York Times bestselling author of Chasing the Boogeyman and Gwendy's Buttonbox, founder of Cemetery Dance Magazine and the Cemetery Dance Book Imprint, 
winner of two World Fantasy Awards, four International Horror Guild Awards, and the Horror Writers Association Board of Trustees Award. Can you tell us what you think of when you hear the word werewolf? Oh, um, it's, you know, that's interesting. Um, I was just telling somebody about a, an old werewolf novel called The Hyde Effect. Um, have you ever heard of it? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was published by Leisure. So it was, you know, a shitload of copies were out there. Um, but, you know, not the most prestigious publisher, but it, it's such a great kind of pulp, you know, werewolf story that that i've never forgotten and i brought it up to somebody the other day god it's one of my favorites you know because we all know the you know the ones that are most popular the howling and the, and the rest of them but uh this one yeah for me is my favorite um what a werewolf me man i don't know you know i do you know naturally i'm a campfire guy so i think of the full moon and all that stuff but uh unbridled kind of you know i'm coming from yeah i guess i would come from the from the uh from the angle of that, that, that awakening, you know, passion and, and, and uh, I don't know. I do know cycle of the werewolf was the first R rated movie. My kids saw when they were <laughs> convinced my wife. Oh, I remember That's buying great. that book for the first time as a kid and being so <laughs> into it. Oh, me too. Me too. And I actually had the uh, pleasure of having dinner with, with Bernie Wrightson out in Los Angeles years ago um, before he passed. And, I, I got so I got to tell him all those stories about, you know, reading it with my kid, you know, once he was a little older. And and like I said, you know, I remember it was New Year's Eve and we broke the rule. It's like, hey, you're going to watch an R-rated movie tonight, buddy. It was my son's first Stephen King book as well. So. Oh, cool. Very yeah. cool. That's great. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only award winning New York Times bestselling author of more books than I can count, including Mongrels, My Heart is a Chainsaw, and All the Beautiful Sinners, professor of English and renowned werewolf aficionado and expert, Stephen Graham Jones. May I ask you please, sir, what do you immediately think of when you hear the word werewolf? Usually I'm reading a book or a story or watching a film or a show, so what I think is I'm about to see some werewolves, you know, it, it's like, uh, it's like I'm driving down a road and I see a, there's a sign in green with a white frame that says werewolf. And so I know that down the road, there's going to be some werewolves, you know. Any poetic implications? Poetic implications? No, just excitement. You know, I know the, the werewolf's going to be jumping on somebody and the werewolf's going to be in a bad situation, you know. Oh, I know it's got to be deeper than that from you. I've read your books. Come on, man. <laughs> is it the inner beast, the transformation, anything like that? Oh, um, I get excited to see the transformation or to read about the transformation. Yeah, because it seems like every creator, everyone who writes about a werewolf tends to come up with their own way of doing it. You know, I mean, some sometimes you'll have, like in Twilight, you see Jacob and his people, they jump in the air when they come down their werewolves. But then you see like... um. I don't know, American Werewolf in London or Howling, and it takes takes two or three minutes, you know, of um, of air bladders and latex and all that kind of fun. And um, what was that that television series, Hemlock Grove, where um the eyeballs pop out? And is that the one where the werewolf eats the like extra material or something? I, I like that kind of stuff, man. That was a great show. <laughs> so you're you're still just like a hardcore horror movie fan at heart when it comes down to it. All your degrees. Oh and yeah, everything. yeah. For sure, man. For sure. 
Oh, do you prefer a bipedal werewolf on two legs or a werewolf on all fours? You know, I think a werewolf on all fours makes a lot more sense. I can see an animal evolving like that. And like a werewolf on two legs, they're not really hunters, they're monsters, you know? And right. they just lumber around and they're they're a good target and they're really obvious with their bad selves. So yeah, two-footed werewolves, they they kind of look cool like in dog soldiers. They definitely look definitely look cool. But I just don't see how they'd last in nature, you know? <laughs> they wouldn't be as fast, right? Yeah, yeah. And also the there's also an issue of tails, you know, like um I think werewolves look cooler without a tail, like a little, you know, a a, a duck tailed Australian shepherd or something. But um I think a tail is I think they really need a big heavy tail if they're gonna be running down white tailed deer out in the trees and they gotta be able to corner, you know. So do you think that werewolves eat deer in the in the woods? Is that Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think humans are at all their first choice. I think like all those bad situations, all those bad situations werewolves find themselves in usually involve them finally having to go after a human. But no, it makes like like um Jack Russell from Werewolf at Night. That dude, he loved to go out and hunt elk and deer. He didn't want to be in the city doing stuff. He just wanted to go out and hunt in the trees. And I think that's what werewolves want. Right, right. So they're they're just more creatures of nature than actual monsters that are bloodthirsty for humans. Correct. They get monstrous when they get into like a density of people that that's when they're monst- That's when they become monstrous because everyone like monstrifies them. You know, they're like, look at that weird thing. We got to shoot it and say so to fight. They have to fight back. Like um, the end of American werewolf in London, the, the werewolf in the subway, what's a werewolf going to do in a subway, but kill people, you know? <laughs> How about the moon? Anything with the moon? Do you see? No, the moon, moon makes zero sense to me. The moon is just reflected sunlight. So if um, the moon forces a werewolf to change, then what would the sun do? You know, it, yeah, the moon doesn't make any sense to me. Excellent. I understand this. I understand the cyclical nature of letting your inner beast out once a month. And it, maybe your own schedule does perhaps line up with a full moon. But um, the, the association of full moons with werewolves starts back in, um, is it Petrarchus? Back in, back in like Greek and Roman times, when we first started getting werewolf stories written down, and people would say you can like on a full moon night you can the wolves are out they would say you know that kind of stuff but it's not that the wolves are just out on a full moon it's that it's a full moon so you can see more wolves and so the association just kind of got hammered into mm-hmm. our psyches and we still we run with it you know but no the the moon makes no sense as a trigger to me i just read something interesting the uh, screenwriter for the wolfman was jewish and had escaped yeah. nazi germany and he yeah, said Kurt, that the Kurt moon Mac, yeah yeah yeah. He said the moon was a symbol of the swastika that it could turn a, oh. a normal person into a raving murderous beast. Oh, that's pretty cool. I never had read that about him. That's really cool. Well, Stephen Graham Jones, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us your thoughts on werewolves. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for letting me be part. I've always got things to say about them. All right. And my co-host, Matthew Brockmeyer, award-winning author of Kind Nepanthe and Under Rotting Sky. What does werewolf mean to you? Well, for me, you know, it, it all goes back to the epic of Gilgamesh, when the goddess of sex and violence turned her lover into a wolf. It's like these two primordial forces of nature, sex and violence, coming up and just tearing through someone, turning them into a monster and a beast. I think of both the Howling and American Werewolf in London had transformation scenes 
inside a porno theater, which I think is really poignant, uh, especially the howling, because it was just such a violent and, and terrible scene. But I also think of the medieval idea of a werewolf, someone who actively tries to become a monster by, you know, adorning a wolf skin or drinking water out of a wolf print. They're trying to become a beast. And, you know, we've talked about all these serial killers all month. And I think that really relates there because oftentimes a werewolf is seen as a victim. It's a curse and it's this beast within them coming out. But I think we need to remember that some people actually try to find that inner beast and become it. And uh, in both aspects, it's absolutely terrifying. And I think that's why the werewolf mythos is just so powerful and legendary, a part of human culture, part of human nature, and will always be with us. Thank you so very much. That was amazing. I think that summed up everything that we talked about on all of these different episodes. So thank you. Well, thank you. And we have my lovely co-host, Krista Carmen, Stoker-nominated author of Something Borrowed, Something Bloodsoaked, whose novel, The Daughters of Block Island, is going to be released on December 1st and is already being lavished with so much praise. Can you tell us, Krista, what comes to your mind when you hear the word werewolf? I think when I think of werewolf, the very first thing that comes to mind is kind of like just the the quintessential werewolf mask. And like I do kind of I do kind of lump it in with, you know, the witch, the the major archetypes of Halloween and spooky season. And I do kind of think of it along with the archetype of the vampire and the witch and the ghost. And um, I'm sure that's heightened, too, by the fact that I have a three year old daughter and I read her you know, children's books. And it's sort of this a bit cookie cutter image of these figures and of the werewolf. But when I really think more about it, and I try to think of what it means to me from like a horror perspective of the type of horror I like to write and read, I really love when the werewolf is used as a as a symbol for something unexpected. Uh, I think we talked about little about on our werewolves throughout uh, cinematic history we talked a little bit about that black mirror episode where the werewolf uh mythos was sort of being used to to glimpse somebody that was famous and the paparazzi and the sort of like um vicious voyeurism that we we can turn on people um and i hadn't i don't think i've really seen that done before and i also like to think about um, like I've written a lot of addiction horror. So obviously the werewolf is like a great stand in for somebody that's suffering from some sort of substance abuse. You become something you're not at a certain time, you know, whether it's through craving or relapse or just another day has dawned and you're in the throes of active addiction. Like the werewolf um, is just such a rife symbol for for a lot of mental health issues. And I think it just kind of opens it up to to creators, filmmakers, writers, just having such a, a depth and breadth of um, directions they can go with it from that perspective. So I I guess I, I like to think of it as as both the the fun Halloween mask and like the fun, you know, spooky thing and, and creepy uh, creature, 
but it, it goes much, much deeper than that as well. It is absolutely fascinating how you can use that mythos for so much. And I, I think addiction is a very good metaphor for the, the beast coming out, especially yes, alcohol. Absolutely. Alcohol turns people into fucking total monsters. Oh, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I think that's going to do it for today's episode. And we want to thank all the amazing writers who agreed to talk with us. If you're not familiar with them, you should really check out their stuff. We're going to put links to their websites in the show notes, so check them out. And as always, you know we want to hear from you. Got a case you think we should cover? You just want to say hi? Drop us a line at murdercoasterpodcast at gmail.com. That's murdercoasterpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.